0: Welcome to the weekly message from Rhema Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Heavenly Father, we honour your word this morning. We thank you that it's a living word. And Father, that you transform and renew our lives and our minds through the washing of the words, So today, we breathe it in, we take it in, and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So my outline for this morning, for the message, is um, what do you believe? What do you believe? Why is it important? And what does the Bible say about our believing? However, you might have noticed there's something up here that wasn't there a moment ago. Now, most of you probably know that I am a grandmother now. I'm a nana. And this thing called nana naps is so awesome. And they can strike at any time. No. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Actually, what it was was um, Jeff has a tendency to fall asleep in the service. <laughs> so I thought I'd keep an eye on him up here much better than down there. <laughs> No, that's not true either. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Um, There is a reason that's there, but neither of those two things are it, and we'll get to it. But first, because we're family. um, You know, Jesus, he spoke, um, and he said to people in his time that were around him about family, he said, who's my brother? Who's my mother? Who are my sisters? Those that do the will of the Father. And so we are we are family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and because we are, I wanted to share something that's happened in my sphere and my world in the last couple of weeks, 10 days probably um, and a beautiful friend that I made here at Raymer Family Church, her name was Cheryl. Um, she served on the Usher's team and she served in Gather at the Pampa Zone Well, she went home to be with Jesus not this past Wednesday, the Wednesday before. And I'm not telling you that so that you feel sad for me or whatever. She's home with Jesus and that's wonderful and we celebrate that. Uh, But I will be referring to her in this message. She was a precious and powerful woman of faith. So we have an ever-living hope in Christ and that's really wonderful. So a little bit more on her later. But first I want to talk about something called diversity. Anybody heard this word diversity gets bandied around? Uh, There's a lot of talk about diversity in our world today and in fact it's become such an important issue that there are corporations that are now employing people as diversity representatives, um, diversity officers or leaders or ambassadors in their organisations. To champion, promote, and to facilitate this cause, which is very, very interesting. But what, what does it actually mean? And so I looked up the definition and it came up with this the state of being diverse. And I put up there, well, that's really helpful. I mean, da, <laughs> that's really helpful, the state of being diverse. I want to know what it means. So as we move on, difference, unlikeness, variety, multiformity. The inclusion, now this is really important, the inclusion of individuals representing more than one national origin, colour, religion, socioeconomic stratum, sexual orientation, probably even gender, that would be a big one um, out there at the moment, etc. etc. I like how even in the definition it put etc. It leaves this issue of diversity so wide open. And uh, sounds sounds good. And sandwich sounds good, sounds reasonable. I mean, after all, most of us, I think it would be fair to say that we most probably would agree with the USA's Declaration of Independence which states that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And see, this sounds like real inclusion and even a a utopia of diversity to me. It It sounds good in principle, but something that I've noticed, and perhaps you may have too, is that focusing on differences will divide. And I wouldn't even be surprised to discover that there possibly could be a connection between the word origins of diversity and division didn't have time to go into the Latin or whatever, um, but I wouldn't be surprised just with the DIV. But the thing is, a far more fruitful and productive approach to help us to understand one another is to focus on what unites us. Wouldn't you agree? What unites us, not the differences that divide us, what we share in common with, uh, with one another. And so that's why I had this bed here as just a simple illustration because basically... We all sleep. Do we all sleep? Every single human being on the face of the earth, no matter what age, no matter matter what race, no matter what socioeconomic background or culture or faith or belief system or religion, whatever, we all sleep. It's something we have in common. And it's not only that, but that's just the point of the illustration. There are so many things that actually unite us. Why focus on what divides us? And so if we are to truly comprehend and embrace diversity, as we keep hearing about, as believers, we have to look at Jesus. Why? Because he alone represents the greatest demonstration of the value of diversity that this world has ever experienced or that's ever been actualized on this earth because Jesus himself is the personification of inclusion. How can I say that? Because no matter what race you are, Jesus died for you. No matter what age you are, Jesus died for you. No matter what background and belief system we've come from, Jesus died for us. No matter whether we're rich or we're poor or anything and everything in between, Jesus died for us. Whatever gender we might be struggling with, Jesus died. Whatever sexual orientation, Jesus died for every single person on the earth. That's inclusion. That's inclusion. And the study of his life unfolds this inclusion beautifully. I love a verse in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and 10, two verses. Um, John is having a prophetic vision And it's of the times to come and and he says these words, after all these things, all these visions and things that he's seen, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, all tribes, all peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There it is, inclusion. This is not science fiction. This is not a great theme for a novel. This is biblical prophecy and it will happen. And that's the representation of inclusion right there. So outside of Jesus Christ, no matter how noble our intentions of inclusion are, they cannot and will not be a reality without him. So this issue of embracing diversity through a purely secular and humanistic approach is only going to lead to marginalisation. Someone will be marginalised as a a result. So whilst the intentions are good, the result is questionable. Sadly, in our secularised society, the diversity push has become a Trojan horse for a far deeper, darker and sinister agenda. Make no mistake, we are living in times where what is right by God's standards is called wrong, and what's wrong by God's standards is celebrated as being right and exalted. And so this is why it's absolutely crucial that in these times that we are living in, that we are a part of, that we are diligent and we're discerning about the message that I'm bringing to you today. So firstly, what do you believe? You see, God has given us this incredible gift of the freedom to choose. Do we all have the freedom to choose? Every single one of us does. And in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 Pastor Tony alluded to this and spoke about this last week. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. This is God saying this. But what we choose depends on what we believe. Every single day, all the choices that we're making, what we choose depends on what we believe. And we see this from the very outset with Adam and Eve. They made a choice and they made a bad choice. Why? Because what they believed had been eroded. It had been eroded. The purity and the truth of what God had said to them was eroded. So we've we've got to guard our minds. In the Gospels, Jesus asks 307 questions. He's asked by others 183 that are recorded So asking questions was central to Jesus' life and teachings and much of his ministry involved addressing what we believe. And why is this? Because questions pinpoint us to what we believe and we believe all kinds of things. We believe things about ourselves. We believe things about each other. We believe things about the church. We believe things about the world that we're living in. We believe things about politics and economics. We believe things about health, how we eat, is based on things that we believe. Our self-esteem is based on things that we believe. You know, we wake up every morning and from the moment our feet hit the ground, we're making decisions about what we believe. And we we can base that on feelings or what happened the night before, or things that we know is waiting for us in the day. But we get to choose, and we decide what we believe. So I love to get up every day and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. You know, have you ever been in a conversation with someone where they say, I believe, and it's this, that, or the other, and they say it with a passion and a conviction that because they're saying it and because they believe it, it is, it is truth and reality the, to them. It's like me saying, for, just as an example, I've got brown hair. Now, clearly you can see that I don't, but if I really can convince myself and believe it, you know, or I might say I'm fat, oh, I'm so fat, I don't like myself, I'm fat. Well, you can see that that's ludicrous, but if I choose to believe that and think that way about myself, that's what I'm going to live out of. So why? Why is it important what we believe? It's not just important, it actually is vital. It's vital what we choose to believe. And this is why. Because it's the foundation and the framework that we build every part of the lives that we are living upon. Every part. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Because what we say bec- what we believe becomes what we say. What we say becomes what we do and what we do becomes how we live. It's our life that we live. You know, you say, oh, I feel so miserable today. Guess what? You're going to feel miserable. Oh, this terrible thing happened to me. That's what you're going to focus on. So this is why Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks, so he is. Now, Sue Hill, is she here this morning at all? She might be away this weekend. Oh, there she is. Hello, darling. (laughs) She gave me a book recently. And it was really cute because she gave me this book and she was almost apologetic as she gave me this book because she's like, it's not a Christian book. And I'm like, it's okay. I can read non-Christian books too. It's all right. I'm just careful what kind of non-Christian books I read. (laughs) But it was one of these beautiful Um, books with affirmations and encouragement about the topic of resilience. And so I just said to Sue, I said, look, if the Lord's put it on your heart to give me this book, there's got to be something in there that he wants me to see. And sure enough, sure enough there was. There was a lot of great quotes, encouraging and edifying quotes, but there was one that stood out as I was preparing this message. And it said this, don't believe everything that you think don't believe everything you think because this super highway in here of information of stuff coming in all day long every day 2 Corinthians 10:5 says that we're to bring every thought into captivity to make it obedient to Christ Jesus says in Matthew 7 24 to 27 we're going to wade through a lot of scripture And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. See, it's that connection, not just hearing, not just it comes in, I heard it, that's enough. The hearing becomes the believing, the saying, the doing, the living. When Peter confessed Jesus Christ as Lord in Matthew 16, 16, where he said, "'You are the Christ,' the son of the living God, Jesus told him that it was on that rock of revelation, it was on that rock of revelation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. If we have a personal revelation that he is the son, the Christ, the son of the living God, it doesn't matter what This world is going to throw at us. We will stand. We will stand. Now just before that, in verses 21 to 23, he says, so it's just before he's made that that, um, analogy, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus makes it very clear that those who will inherit his kingdom are those who will do the will of the Father. Now I want to clarify, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But faith without works is dead. James 2:26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Because again, it's the believing, it's the believing that then navigates and frames the lives that we live, that prove his word. So what is his will? What's this will that Jesus was talking about, those that do the will of the Father? It's his word. David put it like this in Psalm 119, 11, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Today his statutes can be summed up in Matthew 22 verses 37 to 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Can you imagine a world that functioned like this? We'd have no crime, we'd have no crime because no one would do any harm to anybody else. We have a huge responsibility in what we carry to live out our faith. To live out what we profess and we say that we believe. And see, none of these scriptures, I want to clarify, are intended for this public persona that we come here into church because this is easy. This is easy to come in here and, you know, we're in a collective faith family with each other where we all agree with each other and we're on the same page. You know? Oh, God bless you. How are you today? And it's wonderful to be in fellowship. I'm not saying that. It's wonderful. And we need each other and we encourage one another and we build each other up. This is part of um, his, his plan and desire for us. However, don't know if this has ever happened to you. Maybe I'm the only unspiritual one around here. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't take long and you're driving out the car park. You might still be in the car park. And someone says or does something or cuts you off and you're like, oh, you moron. And you're like, did I just say that? Am I allowed to say that? Oops, sorry. (laughs) You know, I've always said to my family that my life of faith, it's not my hobby This is not my hobby. This is not something that I just do in my spare time to to belong to some kind of club and have something to do with my spare time. That's not what this is. It's an all-encompassing commitment and it impacts, invades and consumes every single part of my life. Every single part. Every single area. And I've committed before God to be my best and to give the very best version of myself to him and to those that he has put into my closest sphere. That's my family, that's Jeff, that's my daughters, the people in my closest sphere. Why does that matter? Why would, why, why would that matter? Can't we just be all nice Christians here together? It matters because this is where the greatest authenticity of what I believe takes place. It doesn't take place here. It takes place at home, in my marriage, on an everyday basis with my husband and my family and those in my immediate sphere. I've had some very intense challenges in my uh, secular workplace and it was a, a real honing of what I believe. It was a process of six and a half years of honing what I believe because that's where we have the opportunity to validate what we believe I remember when my eldest daughter who's now in her late 20s was a two-year-old and I dropped the bundle I lost the plot I lost my temper I can't remember all the details but I remember kneeling down beside her with tears And I just said to her, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mummy got mad at you. Mummy shouldn't get angry at you. Mummy's sorry. See, because it comes back to, that's where I'm proving what I believe. That's where authenticity takes place. And a really hot tip that has helped me immensely and particularly, I think in Christian marriage, where you're both believers, and you know you think you're on the same page, it doesn't hinge on waiting for the other person to do what's right first. It doesn't hinge on that. It's choosing to know what you believe and you know is right first. And that's not always easy. Sometimes it takes a lot of humility to do that, and Jeff and I could tell you a lot of stories, couldn't we? (laughs) He's cringing. (laughs) It's all right. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. But did you want to go have a lie down? No. (laughs) So Jeff and I have been watching this series called Chosen. Anyone else heard of it? Oh. People, you've got to get onto this. It's called Chosen, and I think it's it's an app, Jeff tells me. I don't know. He just puts it up on the screen. I've got no idea how technology works. I can turn the TV on and off. That's all I can do. I don't know how to do anything else. And we have, what, five different controls, and they just all terrify me. I'm like, I just don't even know what to do with those. But okay. So um, it's an app, he says. It's an app. It's also on Facebook and YouTube. There you go. Look it up, The Chosen. And it's the dramatisation of Jesus and the Gospels and it's powerful. It's been done in a a different way than what we've seen before. And um, the guy that's the director wears this T-shirt that says, Binge Jesus. And I'm like, that's so cool. I want to binge Jesus. (laughs) Nobody get me that T-shirt, okay? (laughs) Um, And one of the things that we really love is how the character of Jesus is portrayed in this series Because it it rattles your cage a little bit. It did for us. At first we kind of weren't really, it's like, oh, it doesn't look or sound or, it's just not doing it for us. But the more that we watched it and we get drawn into it, we found that one of the things we really loved seeing was how consistent Jesus is with his dealings and his interactions with everyone. Didn't matter if it was, you know, the hierarchy or anything. He's so consistent and his teachings were revolutionary. Absolutely revolutionary at that time because it was all about the um, the law and legalism, and he wasn't about that. The disciples wist, witnessed him living his teachings amongst them, being real and authentic. He didn't say one thing and do something else, and it was this consistency and this integrity that profoundly impacted the disciples. Because what we believe impacts our hearts, but it also impacts those around us. And so here at Raymer Family Church, just in recent times, we've been having a whole host of messages. We've had, you know, what is truth? Finding truth in information. Um, What was the other one? Identifying and eradicating lies. And as I reflected on all of that, and, and now, you know, what do you believe? I'm thinking... Is the Holy Spirit trying to tell us something? Do you think the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something? Is wanting to get our attention? And I'd say, yes, absolutely, He is. But many people pick and choose what they do and don't believe in the Word. It's kind of like a buffet. You know, you go to the the buffets and you can go, oh, well, I really like that. I mean, it's different at the moment. But, you know, you pick and choose what you like. And sometimes people take the Word with that kind of approach. You know, oh, things of faith, nah, 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 can't, (laughs) no, that's for those crazies. Um, Prosperity, oh, I'll have a big, I'll have a big serving of that, thank you. Oh, tithing, (laughs) no thank you. You know, like, we just pick and choose. But oftentimes what happens, or has happened, that's as a result of our personal experience and we've evaluated our experience through our senses, and this must not be the measure that we use to determine what we believe. Our experience is not the measure that we use to determine what we believe, because our senses are constantly connecting us to our circumstances and our experiences, and they're feeding us information on what we see, we hear, we touch, taste, and smell. So those filters are constantly getting information to us about our world and about reality and trying to get us to determine our reality through them. But this is the world of the flesh that the Bible talks about. It's the carnal world. It's the physical one that we are in when we're in our body. But as born-again believers, the Bible tells us that we're kingdom citizens. We're aliens and strangers here. And we walk by faith, not by sight not by our senses. John 4.24 says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so these two always go hand in hand, hand in hand. They can't be separated for true worship. Without them both, we do have religion, but we don't have relationships. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. Evidence is proof. It's the proof of things not seen. See, faith eyes see things first. That's why, you know, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see the nail prints in Jesus' hands. I won't believe unless I see the pierced side because it's so human and so natural for us to want to see things in the realm that we know and we understand but that's not faith. And that's why faith can be challenging, challenging for some to grasp because it can seem so ambiguous, but it's only ambiguous if we don't know God's character as revealed in his word. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We need to settle that in our minds. He's a rewarder. Doesn't go around with a big stick. No, you didn't do this. No, you didn't do this. No, you didn't do that. No, you didn't do that. You didn't pray enough this week. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is why even believers can struggle because we haven't learned to fully rely on and trust in him. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he'd been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, And the devil comes and tempts him across a whole host of areas. And of course, he's hungry. And the devil taunts him to turn rocks into bread. Now, I think it's very interesting two things. One, he knew that Jesus was hungry. Secondly, he knew he could do it. He knew he could do it. But Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, in our food-obsessed and worshipping culture, we live in a food-obsessed and worshipping culture. How tragic is that? It's so temporal. And look, I'm I'm okay with good food. I enjoy good food. But I'm not going to worship it. I'm not going to obsess over it. And it's good for us as believers to remember that more enduring sustenance comes from spiritual edification. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who trust in him. Revelation nineteen thirteen: Again, what is yet to come when Jesus returns, it said, he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. John saw this in a vision and his name is called the Word of God. Remember, the Bible tells us in in John that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He walked on this earth amongst the challenges and the things that we deal with every day. And so we've got to be confident and convinced that his word, his word is the final word on any and every matter. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for the promises of God in him, Christ Jesus, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God, what? Through us, through us. So we have these promises, we have this provision, but we live it out. We live it out. It's a living word. It's not black and white words on a page that are static and, and, and just... Nice to look at and nice to think about. We live it out as we believe it, say it, and do it. Oh, but you don't know the struggles I've been through. Anyone had anyone, you know, you're sharing with them and and they just come back at you with, but this, but that, oh, but my life's so hard, oh, but this issue, but 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 well, let me tell you, you are absolutely right. I do not know, but there is one who does. There's one who does. Not only does he know, he cares, he loves you, and he's made provision for you. So remember back in Matthew 7, where we're talking about the house built on the rock, Jesus didn't say that there would not be storms. Did you notice that? He said, when, when when the storms of life come in john 16 in this world you will have trouble but take heart jesus said i have overcome the world and i want to read it in the amplified classic version it might be up there not yet um i love how they put this so jesus is saying in this world you have tribulations and trials and distress and frustration but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you. I've deprived it of power to harm you and I've conquered it for you. Woo, this is awesome news. If we could have that reality as that shield that I just talked about, that his, his word is a shield for us, that when those storms of life come, we hold up the shield. You see, coming back to my friend Cheryl, when I heard the news, when I heard the news, not last Wednesday, the Wednesday before, that she had passed on, and I say on and not away, because she hasn't passed away, she's not gone, she's just passed on into eternity with Jesus. I've got to be really honest with you, that was not the call That was not the call that I was expecting to hear about her. Because throughout her entire journey since her diagnosis, I watched her be completely single-minded and unwavering in her faith and her confession. And just a couple of weeks prior, I had the privilege to go to the hospital and sit with her and have communion with her. And she was such, such a darling woman. She says to me, she goes, These doctors, she said, they keep talking to me about my cancer. And she scrunched up her face with absolute disgust. She goes, it's not my cancer. It's not my cancer. She wouldn't own it. She wouldn't receive it. She wouldn't have it. So she filled herself with his word, his promises, his provision in every way possible. And you know, she said to me at one very, very low point, very low point, she said, Let's just worship him. Let's just worship him. I know he's so good. He's so good. I just want to worship him. That's faith. That's faith. So when the phone call came, and I was carrying and preparing this message, what do you believe? The first thing that happened was this kick In my spiritual guts. It's like I just got winded in my spirit. And the enemy says to me, So, what are you going to preach on now, huh? (laughs) And let me tell you, I did not entertain that thought for one split second. Because 1 Peter 5 9 tells us that we are to resist the devil at his onset. At his onset. And so there was a fierceness, a fierceness of the fire of the Holy Spirit that just ignited in my spiritual belly and I wanted to laugh. I wanted to shout. I'm thinking that's the best you got. Come on, that's the best you got because he's a filthy scum and he'll kick you when you're down. I was in the car with Jeff at the time. And I, I just, I wanted to laugh and shout and I just thought, no, he's going to think I've lost my marbles. go looking for the nearest padded room, where can I take this woman? <laughs> but as this supernatural wave of the presence and the power of God enveloped me and, and the enemies just, you know, jabbing and taunting, just this, it just rose up in my belly and I was like, I'm going to preach the word, you lying scum! You are defeated, devil. You're a loser, devil. The grave is empty. The curse of sin of death is broken. Cheryl is living and rejoicing and magnifying and glorifying her God right now. See faith eyes. Faith eyes see what natural eyes don't. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says we're absent from the body and present with the Lord when we're in Christ. We have a living hope. So we cannot... Afford to entertain the enemy's whispers. He is very strategic. He studies us. He studies us. He looks for what triggers us and he'll set us up and he particularly enjoys striking at every vulnerable opportunity where our natural eyes are challenging what our faith eyes know to be true. He did it to Jesus. He's going to do it to us. And this is why we are equipped in Christ to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. His victory is our victory. And the word of our testimony what will we declare? What will we say when the trials and the storms of life come? And we're clothed in the full armour of God. And we get to prove Him and His faithfulness through the storms of life. So, what does the Bible say about what we believe? Ultimately, The whole message encompassed in the Bible is that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal saviour. This is the game changer. This is the thing that transforms everything about our life. When we trust, put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a new creation in Christ. We pass from, from spiritual death into spiritual eternal life and every part of our lives begins to be transformed. I have not had more joy, more peace, more blessing. I've had challenges, not saying that. But the provisions outweigh the challenges by that much. There's no comparison so Hebrews 11:6. 6, he who comes to God must believe he is, we've said that already, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Romans 10, verse 9, for those that want to commit their heart and life to Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Lord the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's that simple. It's not signing up to a religion. It's not signing up to a program. It's making a decision Jesus, I accept what you did for me. For with the heart one believes, that's where the believing starts, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Because we're an eternal spirit, as I said. We have this eternal spirit that will live forever, but we're housed in a physical body and we have a soul, our mind, will and emotions. And we must be born again in the spirit to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, not negotiable. One of the most important conversations that took place, that I personally think took place in the Bible is in John 3 where Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. Most people here would know this one where Jesus is talking to him about this concept of being born again. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water, the natural physical birth, and the spirit, the eternal birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's temporary. That's why these bodies die. But that which is born of the spirit is eternal. And that's why he wants us to have a blessed eternity in him. There is only one sin that will separate people from God. People say, oh, a good God wouldn't send people to hell. That's right, he won't. He made provision that no one has to go there. He never made hell for people. He never made it for people. But if we reject the gift, if someone wanted to give me, if Jeff wanted to to give me a gift of some flowers and I said, I don't want them, take them, he can't get it to me. It's the same gift with God's gift of eternal life through Jesus. He's given it, all we've got to do is accepted and receive it. Then, secondly, we believe in and act upon the authority and the promises of the Word of God, no matter what our circumstances. God knows what we're all dealing with. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows what we've come into this house today with. But He wants us to act on His promises and His words, irrespective of those circumstances. Because Romans eight thirty seven tells us that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, and see in Hebrews eleven thirteen, and Hebrews eleven beautiful chapter. If you've got time and you want to be inspired, go home and read it. It's the hall of the faith greats. Um, you know all that the, these people that just, it's so inspiring. But verse 13 says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Because this thing here is temporary. That there, where we're, the, the kingdom that we're part of, that's eternal. That's the greater reality. But it's so hard to process that through these senses. And lastly, we believe that Jesus, Jesus is coming again to fulfil all of God's plans, all of his purposes and promises that are foretold in Bible prophecy. So we live now. We live now with a kingdom perspective. We don't live with just the, the distractions and the concerns of just today. Can we make a decision to choose to believe every single day in every part of our lives with kingdom perspective? I've asked Andy to come and close with a song. And the song is called Believe for It. And this morning, I want to invite you. It's just, it's such a magnificent song that just ministers to me. Um, and I want to invite you. We're going to open up the altar. And if there's something, anything, doesn't matter what it is, if you want to make a declaration today, a declaration of faith, something that you're believing for, come and worship. In the first service, I was on my knees down here because there's still things in my heart and life that I'm believing for, that I'm believing for. And I will worship him while I believe, while I believe. So be blessed and come and worship him. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rama.org.au.